Um, good morning. Claire's here because she's going to help with the, the Bible reading this morning. So if you have a Bible, maybe you could turn to Psalm 136. And we're going to carry on in our short series. And the words are going to come up on the screen somewhere below me. And you'll see on the words that there's a little refrain after the kind of main text. His love endures forever. And so you need to be... Um, that is a bit I would like you to say. So Claire's going to say his love endures forever. And this psalm that we're about to, to look at is called the Great Hallel. It's the, the Great Praise. And this is a psalm that the Jews still use today during um, their Sabbath morning service. And it is also a psalm that is sung when, or traditionally it was sung when they were baking the Passover bread. So we're going to read this together and I'm going to read the first bit. Claire's going to kind of lead everybody else in the, the refrain bit. And it goes on for quite a bit. So that's why it's nice to have someone else's voice instead of just mine. Because you'll be sick of my voice by the end, I am sure. <laughs> okay, so I'm hoping you've got Psalm 136. And your words are, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. They're not so good at this one uh, here, they're not. are they? No, they're really no, they're not. not. Okay. You're timing me out. <laughs> okay. We'll keep going, though. We'll keep going. Verse 4. To him... Who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. For by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. His love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. His love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it. His love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. His love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. His love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. His love endures forever. Shehon, king of the Amorites. His love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. His love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance. His love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. He remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Last one. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Thank you very much. 
Thank you, Claire. Let us, uh, let's pray together. Eternal Father, we come into your presence this morning. And we praise your name for the gift of your Son in whom we have life and have it more abundantly. We praise your name for the Holy Spirit who is our comforter and who is the one who points us to Jesus. We pray that we may yield to the Spirit and be controlled in all areas of our lives, and that we would desire to live undefeated lives, experiencing victory over sin in our daily walk with you. We acknowledge that we must respond to the light of your word as it is continually revealed to us. We pray that the consequences of being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit will result in a Christ-like character, submissiveness, service, worship and praise. We praise you for being here this morning. And we pray that the, the beautiful worship that Anna led us in was worthy of you. We praise you that you are not a God who is far away, but that you are present and want to speak to us. So eternal God, speak to us now. We, your servants, your children, are listening. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've seen the, the film Groundhog Day. It's quite an old film. Anyway, the premise of the film is this. Bill Murray, he plays this uh, TV weatherman, Phil Connors, who's given the job of covering the annual Groundhog Day festival in a small town. However, he feels he's above this festival. He, he believes that this is a plebeian, rodent festival that is beneath him. But he's got a job to do. So he goes to the little town and he checks into the local bed and breakfast where in the morning he's woken up by the radio with the final bars of Sonny and Schur's I've Got You Babe. And then there's a couple of highly caffeinated DJs talking a lot. He then grumpily goes and he does his on-camera bit with the sleety, sleety? Mm, sleepy rodent as a backdrop. And he's ready to leave the town, but he cannot leave because of a snowstorm. So he beds down for a second night, but in the morning, the alarm clock goes off, and it's the same music, and it's the same DJ patter, word for word. And it's February the 2nd again, and then again, and then again, and then again. No matter what Phil does... He wakes up the next morning to find out it's the same day. And he's caught in a never-ending loop. Now the writer of this film suggests that it takes between 30 and 40 years for Bill Murray to learn what is needed to end the loop. That's between 10,950 to 14,600 wake-ups to the same song the same experience day after day. 
And you know, sometimes as a school teacher, I feel like I'm living Groundhog Day. I stand at the, the door to the classroom and I repeat the same instructions again and again and again. Every lesson, every day, every week. And you would think by the end of the school year, and if the children have had me uh, for three, four, five years, you think they would know what to expect. But no. Every day I stand and I look them in the eye and I say, enter in silence, stand behind your desks, get your equipment out. Enter in silence, stand behind your desks, get your equipment out. I might change the tone a little bit. Enter in silence, stand behind your desks, get your equipment out. But it's the same words. Enter in silence, Harry, stand behind your desks, get your equipment out. Enter in silence, Jesse, stand behind your desk, get your equipment out. Enter in silence, stand behind your desks, get your equipment out. And day after day, there's always some Muppet who doesn't listen, doesn't get it, and doesn't do what's expected. And this is what's going on here in this psalm. The psalmist is repeating the same phrase 26 times. His love endures forever. 26 times. And he's doing this because he realizes that this, they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand. And this is what he wants them to learn. I mean, I don't know how you felt when we were doing the Bible reading. It felt like after five or six... Claire was getting a little bit bored and trying to gee everyone up. Um, Mark had fallen asleep after 26. Anna had woken up again. But by about 10, Mark had woken up. Anna had fallen asleep and it was all going off. And I wonder if you were at home thinking, why didn't they just miss out that bit? Especially when it was kill this person, his love endures forever. It felt a bit strange. Maybe you actually went off and made a cup of tea and did something else. But it's there 26 times so we don't miss the tremendous force of God's love. But I don't know about you, when I've read that chapter before, that psalm before, we've become so familiar that after four or five times of saying his love endures forever, I kind of skip it and just put it there as a mental detail. You know, just yeah, it's there and I ignore it. But the purpose of the psalm is not for us to think that his love that endures forever is just this old stuff. But it's there so we feel it afresh, something new. There's meant to be like a, a new dance with each verse, with the return to the refrain that his love endures forever. It's designed that this truth of God's love enduring forever will bore deep into us instead of us being bored with it. His love, God's love, endures forever. And I want us to kind of break down the psalm a little bit to see what he's trying to get to. So we have the first three verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And what I find fascinating is that in these three verses, the word that is used for God is three different words. In verse 1, we have the word Lord, and it's all in capitals. And this is the Hebrew word for Jehovah. And by using this word, the psalmist is saying, give thanks to the self-existent eternal God. Give thanks to the uncreated cause of all causes. Give thanks to Jehovah. In verse 2, he's saying, give thanks to the God of gods. The Hebrew in this instance is Elohim. And it's a word that is saying that God is supreme in his superlatives. Or we could say another way that God is somebody we can never ever exaggerate about. God will always be bigger than anything we can imagine or say about. That he is immeasurably more than we can imagine. And in this verse, that is the God he is saying we should give thanks to. And in verse 3, we have the word Lord again, but this time it's a different Hebrew word and it's symbolized by it not being in capitals. And it's the word Adonai. And the word of this, and the use of this word is telling us that God here is sovereign. And by that I mean there's nothing that happens in creation that is outside of God's influence and authority. That here it's saying God is in control. Nothing surprises God. Nothing catches God off guard. It is saying that he is Lord. He is king. He is ruler. And these opening three verses are saying, this is our God that we have to give thanks to. And we can so often forget that. I remember one time, Claire and I were having dinner with Brian and Julie. And Brian had made some lovely fresh bread and Julie had cooked some lovely, I think it was steaks that she had. And, and what was eventually a, a great evening, it had nearly been spoilt by Brian. <laughs> Let me explain. We sat down to dinner and I'm sure Brian, if you're listening, you're thinking, how did he ever spoil? But just people will recognize what happens here. We sat down for dinner and before we ate, we all held hands and to give thanks for the food. And Brian hmm, volunteered to pray in thanks. I, I can imagine some of you are just nodding now knowing where this is going. And his prayer started something like this. We are so thankful for the bread, for the farmer who sowed the seeds, who plowed the land. We're so thankful for the scarecrow who kept the birds away from the plowed fields so the seeds could grow. We're thankful for those who provided the clothes for the scarecrow. <laughs> We're so thankful for those who delivered the seed to the shops. We're so thankful for the farmer who reared this beef. We're so thankful for the person who slaughtered it, the person who cut it to size, the person who packaged it, the person who brought it to the shop. We're so thankful for all those who were involved in getting this beef to our table. And our table. Well, I thank you for the one who planted the tree all those years ago. 
For those who cut down the tree so skillfully, for the hands that shaped the table. And I remember getting this table. I was running out of petrol. So I thank you for those at the petrol station. And so Brian went on and on and on. He was thankful for Julie, thankful for the dog, for, well, you know that kind of worship song, 10,000 Reasons. Well, Brian was trying to come up with even more than the 10,000. And I remember squeezing Claire's hand in anguish, thinking, Claire, please do something. Squeeze Brian's hand or break his hand or grab the bread knife and stab him. Just do anything. <sighs> My willful wife ignored me. So I thought, I'll, I'll squeeze Julie's hand, but Julie just thought I was flirting and squeezed my hand back. <sighs> and through it all, Brian kept going. I eventually had to interrupt. Lord, 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 I thank you for everything. Lord, you are the one we are thankful for. Amen. And we went on. Now, there might be some slight, slight exaggeration in this story. Yeah, Julie never flirted with me. There we go. But uh, the point of the story is this. That at all times, we are to give thanks to the Lord. That all things come from him alone. Everything comes from him. Because it is his love, his mercy, his faithfulness that endures forever. And the psalmist in this psalm gives us three clear examples of why we have to give thanks to God. Firstly, in verses 4 to 9, we have creation. You see, for the psalmist, creation was not something that was simply there. For the psalmist, creation was not something that he took for granted. Creation was something for which, when he looked at it, he thanked God for it. Creation was something that, when he looked at it, it reminded him in so many different ways of God. For instance, in Psalm 19, the psalmist says that creation is the evidence of God's glory. And he praises God for his glory in creation. It says there, Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare... The glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Praising God for his glory. Then in Psalm 135, which for the maths challenged, is the psalm before our psalm. It is the psalmist sees creation as the evidence of God's power. It says there in Psalm 135, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain. He brings out the wind from his storehouses. And in that Psalm, the psalmist is looking at creation and he's reminded of God's majesty, his splendor, his power. But in our Psalm 136, we get a different note. We get a different emphasis. For in Psalm 136, as the psalmist is looking at creation, he doesn't see it just in light of God's glory or just in the light of God's power. He sees it as evidence of God's love. 
And I think when we think about creation, we maybe don't think about creation in that way. We don't look at creation and go, wow, God loved us so much that he created the universe for us to live in and to enjoy. That creation, that the universe, is God's gift to us. That the creation and the universe is our home, given to us by God. And so for us as Christians, creation and the universe is not an unfriendly, hostile place. For us as Christians, creation and the universe is not just a machine ruled by unchanging, unchangeable laws and principles, but it is a creation ruled by a monarchy, governed by a king who made the laws, who can suspend the laws, who can change the laws to fulfill his own purpose. And when we take the love of God out of creation, when we take the love and heart of God out of the universe, creation becomes an empty, vast, lonely place. We become cosmic orphans in an abandoned universe. But the psalmist saw creation as the evidence, yes, of the majesty and power of God. But he looked at it and he saw creation as evidence of the love of God. Jeanette Wells, the American author and journalist said, if you want to be reminded of the love of God, just watch the sunrise. If you want to, want to be reminded of the love of God, just watch the sunrise. I remember one time playing golf with my dad. Uh, neither of us were very good. And we spent most of the time looking for our wayward golf shots in the rough. And I remember so clearly we were looking in this patch of rough miles away from the course. And... There was a whole clump of trees and there was this carpet of flowers. And I remember my dad stopping and saying, Pete, you know, we might be the only people that might see these flowers. We were so far off the course. And he said, we might be the only people to see these flowers. And you know what? He said, God made them just for us to enjoy. Simply because he loves us. And that was a completely new eye-opening way of looking at creation for me. That these flowers planted there just for me and my dad to enjoy. Golf obviously now takes on a different meaning. I don't mind hitting the ball miles away from, well I prefer to be straight. But now I'm just enjoying that flower that God made for me. And what's so amazing is that God loves us so much that he gave us this home, this creation, this universe for us to live in and to enjoy. And creation for the psalmist, it's not just about the, the love of God, but it's also the mercy of God. You know, creation, like everything else given to us, is an act of grace. It's not just a demonstration of God's power. If we look at creation, we are aware of God's power. We can think of Genesis and Colossians, and we can think of the demonstration of the power of God, but it's also 
an act of sheer grace, giving us this beautiful home to live in and to enjoy. G.K. Chesterton, the Roman Catholic author and theologian, once said this, there is no way in which a man can earn a star or deserve a sunset. And creation is an act of love and an act of grace and mercy. So firstly, in verses 4 to 9, he praises God for creation. And then in verses 10 to 22, the psalmist praises God, not just for creation, but he praises God for his control over history. And he's saying that it's not by chance in these verses that the Red Sea has been parted, but it was God's control. It was not man's wisdom that brought them through the wilderness. It was God's control. It was not humanity's power that brought them to the promised land. It was God's control. And the psalmist praises God for his control over history. Now I wonder what you think of history. Maybe not very much. Maybe history is something that gives you shivers and reminds you of being back at school and all those forgotten names and dates and battles or it's something like, oh, Henry VIII and how many wives or 1066, the Black Death and all that stuff. Somebody once said that the only lesson we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Somebody else once said about history that history is simply an unceasing cycle of crises, event after event, all without meaning. But for the psalmist, history is simply his story. For the psalmist, history was an exciting subject because history is the story of God. The story of God stepping down in power into the affairs of men and women. History is the exciting story of God intervening in the affairs of men and women and changing things and doing things that otherwise would not have happened. It is God fulfilling all things according to his great, unchanging and eternal purpose. And so history for the psalmist was exciting. For in it he sees the control and sovereignty of God. God stooping down into the world. God intervening into the affairs of humanity. There's a story told of Handel's Messiah. And it was being performed somewhere and the program notes had been written up and on the notes there was a printer's error. And instead of it reading, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, it read, the Lord God omnipotent resigneth. Just one letter difference, or maybe two, can't do it, okay? And some people and some Christians kind of think like that. We look at our world and... We think that God is absent, that God has resigned, but not for the psalmist. For him, history is God's story. God in control, God sovereign, God stooping down into the world. Just simply and briefly to end, verses 23 to 26. The psalmist praises God for his compassion. He praises God for his care for the individual. 
Verse 23, it says, To the one who remembers us in our low estate, or as the New Living Translation puts it, who remembered us in our weakness. It's an amazing verse. You know, and as I was thinking about it, I was reminded of a couple of verses I really like. And Psalm 147, verses 3 and 4. There he says, the psalmist says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. And this is the psalmist God. A God who is in control, a God who determines the number of the stars, a God who calls each of the stars by name. And just think of this for a minute. God's immensity, that he counts all the stars. I mean, only God, only a God could do this. The stars are so numerous that no astronomer could count them. And they lie so far in the depths of space and they're so remote from each other that no man can even assume to have even seen one iota of them. Even if we use the most powerful telescopes, we have only seen a tiny part. But it says God calls them all by name. The sheer immensity of our God knows the very names of every individual star and yet he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounded. And yet for so many, the sheer immensity of God must somehow make God impersonal and therefore our cares, our sorrows are insignificant before such an immensity. That the immensity of God who made the stars, who calls them by name. How can he be concerned with our tiny, little, fluttering, fleeting hearts? But the psalmist says the very opposite. That his very immensity is the sign of his immense care for the individual's wounds and brokenness of their heart. It says there... In our psalm, that he remembers us of low estate. He who creates the stars, who gives them their name, he binds up the wounded. He heals the brokenhearted. Let me tell you a final story and maybe the, the worship team could come back up. There was once this uh, young girl and she was getting on a bus and as she was getting on she suddenly stopped because she heard her name being called. Good morning Maddie, she heard. And as she turned round and she stood there for a moment spellbound because the person who called her name was the headmistress of her school. And that night the girl went and said to her mother, you know, our headmistress has a thousand girls in her school and I've never spoken to her. I didn't even know she knew me, but she does. And she called me by my name. And so the psalmist says, does God. That the God of all gods the Lord of all lords, 
who created the universe as evidence of his majesty, who created it to demonstrate his power, to show us his love, the God of all gods who intervenes dramatically and directly in the affairs of men and women as a sovereign. He cares. He knows us by name. And I trust that you will never be blasé about this. I trust when we think about his love enduring forever, you won't just want to skip over that bit because you've heard it so many times. I trust that you're still thrilled and touched by the fact that this God knows your name. I trust that it still warms your heart that he who knows the names of all the stars in our ever-expanding universe knows your name. I trust that you know he calls you by name. Let's just pray together for a minute. Father, we can hear the words, I love you, or you're loved so often, that they can mean so little. We think of our own human relationships and the word can be bandied around and it can lose meaning. But this morning, take the truth that you love us with an enduring love, a love that lasts forever, that you call us by name, that when there is all those stars in the universe that are named, you have us on your heart, that the universe itself, those flowers, those plants, the birds that sing, They've been created for us to enjoy because you love us. Holy Spirit, come and take that truth. That when we read something like Psalm 136 and our eyes pass over those words so quickly, his love endures forever. And they skip down past the page, but they skip so quickly that they never actually reach our heart. Holy Spirit, take those words, bore them into our hearts instead of us being bored by them. Bore them deep into our very being. So that when we bleed, that when we cry, those words just come spilling out. He loves us. He loves me. He knows me. I've been called by his, he calls me by name. That no matter what is going on in our life, 
we are safe knowing that he is in control of all things because his love for us endures forever. Holy Spirit, do something in us. We sang earlier about how we long to be in your presence and I kind of was like, do I really? But if I knew how loved I was, man, yes. Holy Spirit, transform the very depths of our hearts. Those places where they're so dark and empty. Where we have no sense of being loved at all. Fill those places with love and with light. So we're not scared by the darkness, by the vastness. We're not scared by the silence. Holy Spirit, do a new thing in us. Forgive us for being so blasé about your love. Holy Spirit, pour out upon us. The worship uh, team are just going to lead us in a, a song and just use that time just to sit and either listen or, or use the words as a prayer to God that he would pour his love out. You would experience that. You would embrace that.